Hi, I'm Kayla. And I'm Alicia, Kayla's mom, and you're listening to True Crime Exposed. Hello, hello. We are back. True Crime Exposed is back. If you didn't notice, we did not release an episode last week. And if you don't follow us on social media, then you probably did not see why. So my voice was gone. I got super sick in my throat. And by like the weekend, my voice was completely gone. I couldn't even talk. And then on Wednesday, I was like, maybe I can push it to Wednesday, record Wednesday, release it late. And I just couldn't. My voice was still super raspy. You did not want to hear that. It would have been super annoying to you for a whole hour. So, you know, I did not prepare for that. I did not think I would just randomly lose my voice. But now I know that that's a possibility. And I will definitely be preparing in the future so that we don't have to skip out on an episode for you guys. Now, some other exciting news. We finally created a website. It took me two whole days to do, but it was actually way easier than I expected. I put it off for like seven months because I was just like, this is impossible. Like, I cannot do this. A website was my nightmare, but I finally just bit the bullet. I sat down. I did it. It's amazing. You can visit it at True Crime Exposed Podcast. Dot com and it's super cool. Go visit it and just kind of see what it's all about. I'm going to be adding like blog posts for every episode we do. I'm not fully caught up on it yet. I'm only adding a few a day because adding all our episodes at once was way too hard, but eventually we'll be caught up and then each week you'll be able to see pictures and information on the case we covered. So that will be really cool if you're not on social media. Now, this case today is actually one that happened in Alaska when me and my husband still lived there. It actually only happened weeks before we moved back to Idaho, and it happened in the same small town we lived in, North Pole, Alaska. And what's really crazy about the entire case is that it just concluded last week, and we moved back in 2017. It's been going on for four years, and I think it's because of COVID and all the pauses on in-person jury trials and just, you know, pushing everything backwards. But because it just concluded last week, it was brought back to my attention by my friend Kendra. So she sent it to me. She was like, this is happening in real time. And I was like, I remember this case. This was crazy. At the time, I coached cheer, and I remember a bunch of the cheerleaders talking about it because they lived there. They were from there. North Pole's a super small town. So everyone was talking about this story. Now, this crime scene is very graphic and it's super messed up. So I'm just throwing in a little trigger warning here in the beginning for all of you. I found so much of my information on the Fairbanks Daily News Miner. They did an amazing job of covering a case that honestly was barely covered even back in 2017 when it happened. So with that, are you ready for today's case? 
So it's November 26, 2017, when Dustin Reed calls the Alaska State Troopers and he's asking for a welfare check on his mom. And it seems to me that Dustin did not live in Alaska near his mom because it sounds like he couldn't do the welfare check on his own. Like he just kept in touch with her uh, via phone calls. So he explains to the troopers that his mom's name is Vivian Osborne and she lives on Loon Lane up there in North Pole, Alaska. And North Pole has the weirdest street names. Like I worked at a salon on Santa Claus Lane and then I worked on another one on St. Nicholas Drive. Very Santa centered. But this road, it has like a weird name, but it's also eerily weird for the story like loon lane (laughs) i don't like it (laughs) Uh, anyway dustin explains that he talked with his mom on november 24th which was just two days before he's calling and she had said some pretty concerning things followed by him not being able to get in touch with her now for a couple of days So troopers take Dustin's call serious in the sense that they're like, okay, let's get in touch with her and give her son some relief. But they assumed she was probably fine. It's Thomas Mealy and Michael Kay who were assigned to the case. And both of them are Alaska State Troopers at this time. And before deciding to take the step of actually going to Vivian's home, they just want to try getting in touch with her over the phone. So they call any number they can find for her, including her business phone number. Vivian actually owned a fiber mill called Arctic Quivet. I don't know how to say it. It's Q-U-V-U-I-T, Quivet. So I found an article on this business titled Musk Ox and Foundation of First Commercial Fiber Mill in Alaska. It was written by Moo Dog Press Magazine. And Vivian started her business in 2001 as this little home-based operation. She was selling that Quivet yarn and yarn clothing. It looks like Quivet is the soft down undercoat of a muskox. And Vivian worked super hard, which I love. And she turned her business commercial when she purchased her own fiber mill. And it was in sell, for sale in Canada. And this way, she didn't have to outsource the processing of the fiber. She had lots of challenges that she pushed through. Like, I guess the shipping company dropped two of their vintage fiber milling machines off their truck. And they weren't able to repair the machines because that business ended up going like out of business. So Vivian had to do it herself, but she had a good attitude about it. She said that by fixing the machines, it helped her and her employees learn how to run them. So eventually she built this building for her mill and became fully operational on January 24th, 2016. So that's only a year and a half before Dustin calls the troopers asking for this welfare check. And they weren't able to get a hold of her via phone call, not even there at her business. So now it was time to make their way over to her home and see if she was home. Thomas Mealy and Michael Kay head over to the home on Loon Lane together. And when they arrive, they knock on the door. There's no answer. And after waiting for a bit, they enter the home to make sure that Vivian was okay. Why was she out of contact? Why is she now not answering the door? Something was starting to seem wrong. She was older, but not super old. She was only 59 years old at this time. So 
while health problems resulting in death weren't a huge risk, troopers began to think that she may have suffered something health-related. But once the troopers enter the home, they realized this was no natural tragedy. And there was a fear that shot through their body as the first witnesses on the scene. So as they push the door open, they're met with the sight of dried blood, honestly, everywhere. The floors, the walls, even the ceilings. The home was a mess. Items were strewn throughout the house all across the floor. And there were feces in random locations around the house as well. That I just, I am sorry. I don't know if I'm a clean freak. I mean, I don't think I'm a clean freak, but... I mean, my house is clean. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. I keep a pretty clean house, but I do not understand people that don't. No. I mean, but I, I don't care the usual clutter, but poo, poop, poop around your house. Yeah, I don't think that the poo was maybe there before she was killed. It seems like maybe she, like, they go into this home, there's blood everywhere, and it almost sounds like the poo was... From animals? No. Oh. I may, I mean, maybe. It doesn't say if she had animals or not, but I was almost thinking, like, did the person who did this leave poo around the house? <laughs> oh <my laughs> like, God. did they not use the restroom? <laughs> why, why, what makes you think that? I don't know. I didn't have any other thought about it until you just said that. Like, in my <laughs> head, it was just like... There's blood everywhere, and this guy pooped everywhere. <laughs> it made me think, like, maybe animals. She had animals or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that makes more sense. And maybe it was like that they weren't even getting let out of the house. So I don't know if she kept her home like that or if it was just, like, she obviously was out of touch and not opening the door if she did have animals. Well, I, I initially thought that it was like she just let her animals do that around the house. I mean, have you seen hoarding or hoard? Like, yeah. What is it? Buried alive or yes. hoarding? Yes. Which or something. That is what came to your mind. so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- that's disgusting when people do that. I do not think that's what Vivian was doing in her home. I, I think the feces got there after, whether it was from animals or it was from a person. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. I, that I didn't care about. But I, I mean, it just sparked my mind. Like, oh, was her house super dirty? Oh. Apparently, there was actually a lot of thought that could go into the feces in random locations, which I didn't even think about because animals before, <laughs> after, I don't even know. I just assumed blood and then the guy pooped everywhere. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, that I is know. gross. Oh. Uh, I haven't known a lot of, like, murderers that do that, but, I mean, I guess people have fetishes. Yeah, I know. it. Which brings up, have you heard of that guy? Oh, dang it, I forgot his name. He had that island where he, like, had all those young girls. The Epstein? No, it wasn't Epstein. It was, like, Nygaard. He's a big fashion mogul. and Oh, yes. Yes. yes I just listened to a podcast. Oh, on him. Yes. he was disgusting. That was one of his fetishes is he liked people to take a crap in his mouth. Oh, my. I can't <laughs> breathe. I cannot breathe. I mean, if that's what people are into and they're both consenting adults, whatever. But it's not normal. 
<laughs> it's too much. <laughs> you you, you just said you could be consenting me. and it would be fine. No. Well, if both of them agree to it, I mean, who am I to tell them what to do? But <laughs> he was like disgusting, so I don't I don't know it was necessarily consenting. <laughs> It is still well, gross drew- either way, though. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, it is thank gross. you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, it, I <laughs> could never. The story. Well, the thing is, though, is it did also, <laughs> you just saying that, it reminds <laughs> I can't breathe. Guys, this is I not I can't stop bad. laughing. Okay. But- Why are we talking about this for, like, 10 minutes? I just think poo in a story is weird. It reminds me of the, (laughs) have you ever listened to the crime junkie episode where there was, I think, oh gosh, was it, it might've been a murder in like Japan or something. I might be way off, but the guy did leave poo in the toilet and they like, I I know they took it as evidence and all this stuff and they were saying it was really weird, but then they were also talking about like, well, I guess when you get like adrenaline or like when you're doing something like crazy or like oh, yeah. you're nervous, then you kind of have to poo after. So maybe like a killer does have to poo after they do this horrible thing. It's like not funny that they are killing people, but the poo aspect is disgusting. I don't know. <laughs> okay, on onward. On with the story. Okay, now it starts to get really serious, the scene. That was just kind of, you know, the house, what it looked like before they really see anything. Now, this pair, they walk into the living room, and they're actually met with probably the most horrific scene they would ever come across in their careers. So underneath a plastic carpet protector, there was a mutilated and bloody body. And as they stepped closer to determine the state of this person... Chills run down their back as they realize this body is decapitated. Now, once this discovery is made, Thomas and Michael quickly run out of the home and call for backup. Quote, with two of us at this point, it wasn't safe to continue the way we were continuing. So we backed out of the open doorway and notified dispatch. End quote. And it's only minutes later that the pair receives backup when Sergeant Joshua Moore shows up. This is when they re-enter Vivian's home, and now they thoroughly search the home and gather all the evidence. Joshua Moore later on testifies, saying, quote, I don't remember seeing a single spot on the floor that wasn't covered in something. It was like someone just took everything out and smashed it on the floor inside the residence, end quote. Wow, that sounds pretty disastrous. Right. Like, it looks really crazy. There's stuff everywhere. And ultimately, they do discover that the body is 59-year-old Vivian Osborne. Vivian was wearing a nightgown and a housecoat at the time of her death. She had Xanax present in her system at the time of her death. Dr. Kristen Rolfe was the medical examiner in Vivian's case and determined her death to be caused by blunt force trauma to the head. She also had multiple contusions of the head and lacerations all across her body. DNA was found under her fingernails and there was hair in her left hand. Vivian was stabbed extensively from her head all the way down through her pelvis. Some of these stab wounds were determined to be before she died, but many of them were post-mortem, which is usually a big red flag pointing to rage. Mm. Um, how long did you say the welfare check was? 
like since she had talked to her son or yeah like how long had it been like I guess what I'm saying is how long was she dead for before they found her her son Dustin who called for the welfare check he had talked to her on November 24th and troopers are finding her on November 26th so two days okay not too long yeah and we know because I said that Vivian was decapitated and I don't know where troopers find her head it doesn't seem highly discussed but I'm assuming with like 99% positivity that it was there in the home because the medical examiner was able to examine it And it would later be determined that she was scalped and her tongue was also cut at the base. Dr. Kristen Rolfe said that she was unable to determine if the decapitation was done pre or post-mortem. Quote, whether the decapitation occurred in life or not is hard to tell. If the decapitation occurred during life or if she was unconscious, that would have been within seconds. End quote. I don't understand how they cut off heads or body parts or like cut people up into pieces like you have got to be very mentally disturbed to do that yeah this was like one of the most horrific crime scenes I've ever read about now it didn't take law enforcement long to discover who did this to Vivian one of the most vicious and sickening crimes they had ever come across while they were searching the home they discovered much more than just Vivian's body As they shook the handle of one of the bedroom doors, it was locked. And then they heard something. It was a man's voice. What was he saying? And then they heard it again before they busted in. A man was in there. He was naked with blood-stained feet. He had scratches and bruising all over his body. Now, when the troopers enter this bedroom, they're on edge when this man is like, Hi, I am the father of the universe. Before going on to tell them, like, oh, that body out there? Yeah, sorry. I had to kill my mom because she was a werewolf. Oh, my gosh. So you guys heard that right. It was his mom. This man was Travis Reed, Vivian's son, the brother of Dustin Reed, who called for the welfare check on his mom in the first place. Travis was clearly out of sorts, so immediately he was transported to Fairbanks Memorial Hospital where he would be treated and blood samples would be taken as evidence. So did he live with his mom? So yeah, he did at this time. Okay. So he was just living there for those days that she was in there dead. Oh. But what's also really crazy is I was living there in North Pole at this time, and I was actually working at a salon When one of my loyal clients, she came in shortly after this and we were just chatting. She was a nurse in the ER and the topic of this murder comes up and she's like, yeah, I was working in the ER the night that police brought that guy into the hospital. And she basically, yeah, crazy, huh? She said it was one of the scariest things she had ever seen. I guess he was like covered in blood. They brought him in barefoot. And remember, his feet were stained with blood. But she also told me that his feet had like glass shards in them. And he was just walking around with that in his feet like it was nothing. He was super out of it. And she just said it freaked her out. Oh, that is that would be so creepy. Did you hear the story on the news and stuff or just from? 
I honestly heard it around town. I heard it at the salon and then also I was coaching cheer, remember? And it, a bunch of those girls like knew what happened or kind of knew who he was. I think he was a lot older than them, but it just sounded like, you know, it's North Pole. I swear the population's like around 3,000 or something. So it was like everyone just knew. Yeah. Pe- like people I think knew. people just knew her. People knew him. And so everyone was just talking about it. Was he always kind of crazy or did he just have this mental break? Yes. So he does have a history that we'll get into with that. Okay. With his feet, you know, how my client said that he had all this these glass shards in his feet and he was just walking around. That can be explained by Travis being highly intoxicated at this time. So he was actually high on meth. And soon it would be discovered that this drug habit was an extensive problem. And not only that, but like I just said to your question, he did suffer mental health struggles, which were only amplified by his drug use. So at the time of Vivian's murder, Travis was not only high, but he was also off his medication that controlled his mental health. Oh my gosh. And like on meth, who knows what you're going to do. Especially mixed with like those mental health struggles. That just was not a good combo. Mm -hmm. In fact, two days earlier on November 24th, when Vivian was on the phone with her other son, Dustin Reed, she had told him that Travis was back to his old ways. He was using meth again. And recently he had gotten violent with her to the point that in a small struggle, he knocked her glasses off of her face and Dustin was pissed. Their whole family had gone the rounds with Travis throughout his life and he wanted to call the state troopers right then and there to report that assault. But Vivian calmed him. Travis was a literal nightmare at this point, but he was also her baby. She raised him. It's so hard. So hard, like, to know what to do when someone you love is, like, struggling with addiction. Right. It's like, do you call call on them and get them in trouble and hold them accountable? Tough love or? Yeah. Or do you help them? We can speak to this because we do have experience. Yeah, definitely. And it, it is. It is like, I think your mind is just kind of a roller coaster. Like, what do I do? You like feel bad one second, then you want to do tough love the next second. I think, you know, it's even harder, like probably in the mom position. Right. So like the same as Vivian, like she just did not want to get Travis in trouble. Oh, yeah. I've I've been judged many a times on how what actions I have done. <laughs> but right. that's okay. It I don't think anyone is like does the perfect thing in this situation. It's kind of too hard to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. So Vivian, she ends up talking Dustin out of getting the police involved and she like promised that she would kick Travis out of her home ASAP. And there was a reason that Vivian didn't want law enforcement involved like we were just talking about she really didn't want to get him in trouble and the problem is is that Travis was already currently in trouble with the law in 2016 Travis was charged with multiple felony assaults and felony drug misconduct cases one of these arrests happened after Fairbanks officers were called to the scene of a shirtless man yelling and acting scary in the parking lot of a clothing store. Once officers arrived, Travis came at the officers assaulting them before being arrested. 
And the result of these charges would be that Vivian became Travis's lead legal custodian. She was now responsible for caring for him, making sure he took his medication, and did the best she could to keep him off drugs. But when his drug addiction spiraled out of control again, she couldn't control him or keep him on the right path. So after Travis was finished up at the Fairbanks Memorial Hospital, which is actually where I gave birth to my first baby, (laughs) he was actually taken to the Fairbanks Correctional Facility to be held. And during this hold, he was questioned by police. Albert Bell was the detective who conducted Travis's interrogation. And Travis would reiterate some of that talk about how he just had to do it. But this time, instead of saying that Vivian was a werewolf, he said, sorry, I had to do it because my mom was the devil. Ultimately, he did confess to the heinous murder of Vivian Osborne. And to back that up, aside from the fact that he was literally found inside the home with her body, that DNA underneath Vivian's fingernails matched Travis Reed. So he was officially arrested and would be charged with first-degree murder and misconduct involving a corpse. The murder charge is an unclassified felony, but misconduct of a corpse is only a misdemeanor, which seems so freaking weird to me. Like, misconduct of a corpse is only a misdemeanor? Yeah, that's crazy. That's weird, huh? Because I feel like anyone who's messing around with a dead body, clearly mishandling it is pretty probably super dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. People don't do that. That should, let's up that to like a felony as well. Yeah. (laughs) So Travis was held in jail after his arrest and the following year in 2018, he was denied bail. And then three years went by with nothing. At first, I'm sure that the trial was just being prepared by prosecutors and defense attorneys, but then in 2020, COVID hit, and because the country shut down, jury trials were pushed. So it wasn't until four years after Vivian's murder that a trial would be held, because while Travis did confess to the murder, he would not plead guilty. It was July 7th of 2021 that trial selection started, and this was just after Travis attended a competency trial and was deemed fit to stand trial. Now, regardless of his plea, there was so much evidence presented against him in court. His DNA underneath Vivian's fingernails. He was found on the crime scene naked and bloody. He confessed And lots of witnesses were brought in to testify about the crime scene. In Vivian's home, there were two knives found drenched in blood. One of those knives was found next to Vivian's body. It was a large kitchen knife. And there were other items scattered around her body. A cast iron pan, a Dell computer, and a fire extinguisher. And then next to a blood-stained pillowcase, there was a glass pipe found containing white residue. Three other pipes were also found in the home. Derek Walton performed the drug analysis on these pipes. Two of them tested positive for THC, meaning that marijuana was smoked in them. But the residue left in the other pipes ended up being insufficient as evidence. It was Silas Hessler who testified about the white residue found in one pipe. Now, Dustin Jorgensen, he conducted the digital forensic testing. 
He was an Alaska state trooper investigator at the time, and throughout his analysis of the devices found in that home, he discovered that on November 24th, the last day that Dustin Reed talked with his mom, Vivian, on the phone, she was also searching the internet for drug rehabilitation and mental health treatment centers. And after this day, there was no evidence found that any device was powered on or in use. This led prosecutors to believe that Vivian was killed later in the day on November 24th, two days before she was found inside her home, meaning that Travis continued living in the home with his mother's body for two days before troopers arrived to discover the scene. He had to have just been high. Like totally out of it or didn't care. I don't know. So throughout his trial, it is reported that Travis was very calm and he usually kept pretty focused on the witness stand, except for when troopers testified on the stand that Travis was the man they found at the crime scene. Each time a trooper stated this, Travis would turn his head slowly and make eye contact with each juror. Now, the medical examiner did attribute Vivian's death to the blunt force trauma. But she also made notes of calcified arteries, pointing to heart disease. And these notes gave Travis's lawyers their defense. Because I'm sure you've been wondering why Travis would plead not guilty. When it's so obvious that he was the one who killed his own mother in an act of matricide. And no, he wasn't pleading not guilty by reason of insanity. Regardless of his mental health issues. And it was reported on the Fairbanks Daily News Miner that Travis's mental health diagnosis was schizophrenia. But I'm not actually sure if that's true because that was only stated in that one article. And that could constitute to an insanity plea, I think, but I'm not sure. Insanity pleas in each state vary so much. Like here in Idaho, there's no insanity plea. But it looks like Alaska does have somewhat of it an insanity plea. So Alaska uses a modified version of the McNaughton rule. And the McNaughton rule is that the defendant is unable to distinguish between right and wrong or otherwise didn't understand what they did because of a disease of the mind. And again, Alaska's insanity plea is modified from this. It doesn't seem like a not guilty by reason of insanity is allowed, but there is a plea of guilty but mentally ill. And Travis, he didn't want to plead guilty. And this was because, according to him and his defense team, his mother's death was not intentional. It was an accident. So it's Gary Soberay, who was Travis's defense attorney, and he used Vivian's poor heart health as a reason to point to the fact that she was at risk for a stroke. So Gary says, you know what probably happened? Vivian, I bet, was just in the kitchen cooking some dinner and Travis was helping her. Now, because Travis was helping his mom cook dinner, he was holding a kitchen knife, of course. And this is when Vivian suffers a stroke. And when Travis sees his mom have a stroke, he just rushes over to help her, you know, forgetting that he's holding this knife and he accidentally stabs her. 
it was completely unintentional. Oh my gosh. Is that not the most absurd absurd and dumbest defense that you have ever heard in your whole life? Yes, it is. Like, why not just plead guilty but mentally ill? And I think this is kind of where I get frustrated because I do feel sad that he was struggling with mental health. I do feel sad that he was struggling with a drug addiction. And if those two things played a role in this or like he didn't know what he was doing, that would be so devastating. But he kind of acts like a jerk in his whole thing. And like you'll see at the end kind of how he talks about it. And it's like, so did you know what you were doing? Because there's this whole story about how it was this big accident. Yeah. And it's like, if I did something and I was completely out of it and I didn't know what I was doing and then like I found out I killed you, I would be like horrified. I'd be like, definitely take me to jail. (laughs) Like I have problems. Like I am so like I don't deserve to live. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, that's kind of where this one gets like into this gray area because I think you can feel bad for people when they're suffering this drug addiction and mental health but at the same time I I, the way he acts about it almost leads me to believe he was pissed off at his mom and he he did it and knew he was doing it even if he was high on meth well it was just such a violent crime but it's like oh yeah oh it's hard to know because I mean doesn't meth make you crazy it does but like I think a lot of the times you can still kind of know what you're doing you know I I've never tried it so I don't know but but then with his mental health off of off of his meds yeah it's just really hard to determine in this case because like with just the story and just his history I think okay guilty but mentally ill that's how he should have pled he probably wouldn't have gotten a super harsh sentence. He probably would have gone to like a mental institution, but he chooses to plead not guilty. And then he just acts kind of entitled and like, it's weird how he talks about it later, which makes me think like, okay, so did your mom piss you off? (laughs) And you freaked out? Yeah. Because that I don't feel like, then I have no empathy for you if you knew what you were doing. You know? Yeah. This this defense had to have been some Hail Mary last-ditch effort to try to get Travis out of being found guilty. But, like, trust me, no one would buy this. Like, no one. So, clearly, it was no accident, right? Because Vivian is decapitated, scalped, stabbed multiple times, including in her genitals. Her tongue is cut. And then Travis is living there in the home for two days with her body. Well... The defense also has an answer to that. They say that Travis, he did all that stuff for a reason. Gary says that after accidentally killing his mom, he went into a full-blown panic and that Travis didn't know what to do. He was on drugs and he was already in trouble with the law. They would definitely blame him for her death. So he mutilated the corpse, including removing her head. And then he staged their home on purpose to make it look like he was crazy. Remember, troopers did testify that there wasn't an inch of that floor in the house they could see. They said that everything was strewn out and broken onto the floor through the house. 
So maybe, but also like I don't buy this defense. That doesn't explain how Vivian fought for her life against her attacker. She had DNA under her fingernails and hair in her hand. If this was some sort of accident from a stroke, how would she fight back? But Gary tells jurors, quote, this is a young man that doesn't know what else to do. This isn't somebody who had a motive to kill, end quote. But the assistant district attorney who prosecuted the case, Alan Baldock, was like, yeah, sorry, but no. This was clearly a murder done by a man who was in a rage. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel, that's too. That's what I think. I don't buy the defense. Oh, no. Who would? Who would? If you're buying this, guys, reconsider. <laughs> like, no. This murder was angry, and it was hateful. I understand that Travis did suffer those mental health problems and a drug addiction, but that's not the defense. The defense is that this is some accident and then staged to look like he's crazy. No, 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 no. No. It absolutely blows my mind that they thought this defense would work. I feel like they could have done better with claiming insanity. A hundred percent. Like, yeah, he, okay, he did it, but he did not know what he was doing. He has no recollection. Right. That is a thousand times more believable. But because they came up with this super out there, super weird defense, I'm like, it. so, so did you know what you were doing? Because <laughs> I definitely wouldn't make up some lie if I didn't know. Yeah. Some lie that makes no sense. Yeah. Not good. But it seems like he didn't want to spend any time. It seems to me like, okay, I don't want to do guilty but mentally ill. I don't want, like, I don't want any sentence. I just want people to think I, it was a total accident and I want to serve no time for this, is what it seems like to me. Did Vivian confront Travis this night about kicking him out? Like, was she like, hey, you need to go to a treatment center. You're on drugs again. Like, you can't live here when you're on drugs. Yeah. Because that could have thrown him into a rage that could have been his motive yeah a hundred percent so would the jury buy the defense no and did I really even have to ask you yeah (laughs) because of course not after only one day of deliberations the verdict was read on a Wednesday morning Travis Reed was found guilty of first degree murder and misconduct of a corpse it took a whole day yeah Jeez. I know, which at least it wasn't like two weeks. It took me like two seconds to decide. (laughs) I wonder if they were just like, what do we do? Because like, I think he's crazy, but that's not what the defense is saying. Yeah. So it was reported that Travis was 37 years old when he was found guilty in 2021. But then it's also reported he was 28. And this is literally from the same news source, but two different articles. Oh. And then there are multiple other articles that have the same difference. So it seems to me that he was probably 37 because that's what I mostly saw. But there were multiple times that 28 was thrown out there. I looked up. I tried to look up his record on this, like searching his court records. And I did find two Travis Reeds in Alaska that one was 37 and one was 28 so maybe people got confused but I I do think he was 37 although I cannot confirm that for sure huh 
yeah, they didn't give a lot of info about him. Literally, the only place I could find info on this court trial was by paying for a subscription with the Fairbanks Daily News Miner, which is the news right out of Fairbanks, Alaska, right next to North Pole. So outside of that, the only articles I could find, like anywhere, were from 2017, right when it happened. So I think Fairbanks Daily News Miner was able to get court transcripts and put a lot of info out there, but they didn't get super detailed on the family or on him. The sentencing date, it just concluded last week. So February of 2022. This is what brought the story back to my attention. My friend Kendra sent it to me last week because it was going on right then. And she was like, this is happening in real time. You've got to cover this. And I was like, "Um, I remember this. So yes. Now, it was during his sentencing just last week that Travis states he is a second victim of this crime because he was wrongfully convicted. Quote, I am not a murderer. I had no intent. An accident happened. I am innocent, wrongly convicted. I am a victim and I will appeal. End quote. I don't get it. How is he a victim? And that's kind of where I'm like kind of pissed off because I'm like, no. Even if it was an accident in the sense that he was, you know, on drugs and mentally ill and he had no recollection, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> and it's like, and you're still not a victim in that. I just have no words for that statement. Like, it makes me not like him. Well, it's like, I do believe we need to do better in men- for mental health and mental health treatment. Like, our nation sucks, but... Oh, 100%. Yeah. But yeah, then use that as your defense. Not that you it was an accident. Yeah, like, he's making it worse for himself because it's like, okay, now I think you know what you were doing. Mm-hmm this I'm I am a victim I'm wrongfully convicted no you're not you literally did it nope you you killed your mom yeah I wonder why his attorneys did that defense that's really interesting it is really interesting and he's still at the sentencing just last week a year later is still saying an accident happened I am innocent wrongfully convicted he's not saying I am so sad this happened to my mom at my hands I am like, I feel so guilty. This was horrible. It's just, I'm not a murderer. I didn't do this. It was an accident. I'm going to pill this because I'm wrongfully convicted. Yeah, he, he doesn't have very much, none, remorse, I guess. Yeah, zero. And then Travis goes on to explain how he has a very limited criminal history, which I'm not sure about you guys, but assaulting an officer and having multiple felony assault and drug charges doesn't seem to me like a limited criminal history. (laughs) But maybe that is to somebody. I don't know. But I was like, a limited criminal history? Your mom is literally your custodian because you're in trouble, right? like at that time you 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 were in trouble with the law you definitely have a history literally for assaulting officers <laughs> like that's not a limited criminal history but okay now Gary Soberay he reiterates the fact that Travis didn't have a bad criminal history according to them I guess and then he goes on to say that Travis should not face the maximum penalty because he was suffering from mental health and substance abuse issues. Like, wait, I thought the whole defense was that it was an accident. Even Travis still is saying it's an accident. 
But now that he's convicted and about to be sentenced, his lawyer's like, okay, okay, okay. He did it, but he had problems. He was struggling. Please do not sentence him for a long time. I'm like, well, then you should have pled guilty, but mentally ill. It'd be kind of scary to have him back on the street. I mean, with how brutal that crime was. Yeah, it doesn't seem to me like he has a high chance of rehabilitation. And that is what's scary. Because first of all, and I think I, I kind of wrote this in my notes later on, but I'll say it now. I think that overcoming a drug addiction after spending time in prison is hard enough, let alone overcoming like a drug addiction and you murdered your mom in this super horrific, brutal, violent way. And then like you're going to, you know, you want to be let out back on the street. So what happens when you relapse back into the drugs again? It's a bad cycle. So his lawyer says, quote, it is easy for the prosecution to say this is matricide, this is heinous, and therefore it warrants a maximum penalty. There were other things at play when this happened. Something less than the maximum penalty is warranted, end quote. And it's hard because I do think there were other things going on. I do believe that he was suffering mentally with drugs and that's sad and maybe he didn't know what he was doing. But again, like I said, I just have that really hard time with the victim mentality. I have a hard time with him not acknowledging that he did this because I'm sure when he's in jail, well, I was going to say I'm sure when he's in jail, he's sober, but who knows because I think you can get (laughs) drugs in jail. I don't know. But like... It is like he's just not acknowledging that it's horrific, that it's terrifying, that his mother is the victim, that like he did this to her and like he's not acknowledging the devastation of what happened or like how, you know, if it did have to do with drugs or mental health, how, you know, the devastation of how that brought him to this point. Yeah, they, he definitely does need mental health. It's too bad, like the prisons, I mean... Who knows what they do for it, but we could be better as a society. Now, the prosecutors, they, of course, dispute the defense's arguments and ask the judge for the maximum sentence of 100 years. Alan Baldock goes on to reiterate the graphic details of Vivian's genital stab wounds, as well as her scalped and decapitated head. Ultimately, Superior Court Judge Thomas Temples says, quote, Mr. Reed stated in his allocation that the beheading of Miss Osborne was an accident. The court finds that statement is not only not credible, but borders on, if it wasn't so serious and horrific, ridiculous. The evidence is very clear that it was an intentional act of murder. His prospect for rehabilitation is highly guarded. Mr. Reed has shown no remorse. Rather, he tried to claim this was an accident end quote and like the judge just nails it because that's kind of how I feel that was just summed up so perfectly it really was (laughs) (laughs) so judge Thomas then sentenced Travis to 75 years for the murder and one year for misconduct of a corpse giving him a total of 76 years in prison he will be eligible for parole after serving 50 years of his murder conviction And if he is set free, he is also sentenced to complete 10 years of probation. Now, this is one of the most brutal and sickening cases of matricide I have ever come across. When a child murders their own mother, 
And the aspects of the drug use and mental health disease add in some sad aspects. It is sad if he was suffering from this in the moment of these acts. But it's mostly sad that Vivian, his mother, just wanted to care for him. A mother's love is strong and to watch your child go through this would be a huge devastation. She only wanted to help him. She wished he could recover from his demons. She wanted to protect him. Until she was viciously attacked by one of the people she loved the most. Waters and you, we are going to be talking about polar bears. Did you know that people say polar bears are white so it just matches the snow at wherever they live? They're white, but under all their white fur, they're just black polar bears. Isn't that weird? Their fur is translucent, and that's why they look white, but they're actually black. I wish I could adopt a polar bear sometime. Have a great day. Thanks for the listen today, guys. Don't forget to go visit our new website, www.truecrimeexposed.com. Make sure to follow us on social media, on Instagram at truecrimexpod and on TikTok at truecrimeexposedpodcast. Please, please, please do us a huge favor and share your favorite episodes onto your Instagram, your TikTok, your Facebook. Please share it with your friends to help our show grow. And if you want to, go ahead and leave a five-star review. If you have any case suggestions or suggestions about our episodes, please email us at truecrimeexposed at gmail.com. This show was research written, hosted, and edited by me, Kayla Waters. It's co-hosted by Alicia Jenkins. Our original graphic art was done by Arthur Max, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Our palate cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters. And if you want more info about an organization you can get involved with, please stick around. So if you visit victimsforjustice.org, you're going to find an organization that's dedicated to assisting Alaskans affected by violent crime. They are an official pick, click, give organization and encourage donations to help fuel their nonprofit. On their website, you can donate or sign up to volunteer and you can contact them at 907-278-0977. They are the only organization in the state of Alaska that is specialized in certain services for victims of violent crime and their services are completely free. They have grief and emotional support. They provide education of the justice system, emergency financial support, and so much more things, including like going to court with you, acting as the go-between with you and law enforcement. So if you're a victim of violent crime and you need help, please get a hold of them. If you can donate or volunteer, I highly encourage you to get involved and help fight these crimes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday.